0: I am Citizen 44. (laughs) I am Citizen 44. I am Citizen 44. I am Citizen 44. planet Planet. man. Man. Hey everybody, Mark Aaronsberg here. Welcome to my podcast, Citizen 44. This is show number Bye. Today's guest is uh, my good friend, Dan Elster. Dan is an incredible wildlife photographer, and I'm super stoked to have him here with me today. Today's episode is brought to you by Crater Lake Taxi, Ashland's number one taxi service. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. 541-333-3333. Yesterday, I went for a nice, long walk. And it was a spectacularly beautiful day here in Ashland, Oregon. And I did not take my camera. And I kicked myself for a little while about it, but realized, you know, it's fine. I still get to see everything and frame it in my mind as I see it. But it was pretty uncanny how many photo ops were available yesterday. The light was perfect. The sky was blue with just enough clouds. The colors were nice and contrasty and rich. And it was pretty ridiculous. Uh, My day started with a phone call with my father. We've had a challenging relationship, but I see that now that he's almost 80 and I'm uh, approaching my 60s, there's kind of this new place where we can meet and uh, have a reasonable and fun conversation. You know, I explained to him, I said, you know, your son, meaning me of course, has a pretty exceptional relationship with the universe. And I cited a couple of examples I was walking down Main Street, headed north towards Valley View, and I started doing this little rhyme in my head. T'was the day after Mom's Day, and all through my town, everybody was smiling, there was love all around, the birds were all singing, and the cats meowed too, I spied a small boy with a new blue kazoo. New blue kazoo, new blue kazoo, new blue kazoo a new blue kazoo that is very specific so again i'm strolling down the street i'm ready to do like five miles and i come up with this rhyme three days later i'm walking around down by the creek behind the plaza where they do the lithia artisans market i went to uh jim and carol's hat place i used to sell photography down at the market the first two years i was here and i would do this every weekend with my my nephew michael And uh, it was great fun. Uh, Anyway, I made a lot of friends. And I I still frequent uh, the market and check in and say hello. But I had gone to see Jim and Carol and uh, let them know I was back from Thailand and chat a little bit about that. And I'm standing there and this absolutely adorable girl comes walking up. And I'm pretty riveted by her face. I mean, she's not only very cute, but she's emitting this energy. And, you know, this is Ashland. It's all kinds of interesting underlying energy. So I'm looking at her face, and I start scanning down, and she's holding a blue kazoo. New New blue kazoo, new blue kazoo, kazoo, new blue kazoo. kazoo. So I said, is that a new blue kazoo? And she said, yes, it is a new blue kazoo. New New blue blue kazoo, new blue kazoo. We instantly had an incredible bond. We gave each other a really nice hug. I gave her one of my Citizen 44 cards, and I invited her to come talk with me. So getting back to yesterday, I had this great conversation with my father. He was telling me how fascinated he was about, uh, I guess, over the past year or so, that women have been offering to buy him cups of coffee, and that his typical response was to decline their offer. But what I've realized is that it is our duty, it is part of service, to accept, to receive the gifts Uh, from our brothers and sisters, because it makes them feel so good to give, and we should not refuse this expression of gratitude and appreciation. So I just explained to my dad that, you know, take this with grace, appreciate it. What I failed to mention to him is, once he masters this ability to receive, he will receive so much more in so many ways that are totally unimaginable. So it's cool to see my dad having the willingness and the wantingness to have these more open conversations and to, to see him enjoying the potential of us in a totally different way and to break through some of those thin veils of doubt uh, because I think this is part of what keeps us from getting to where we want to get to a little quicker than we are is this doubt this self doubt that we are both not worthy and we are incapable of getting beyond this point uh and And I guess this is part of the evolutionary process. okay, so I'm getting back to yesterday, so I'm walking around I'm having a great time. Everything is super colorful and just really beautiful in town. I'm walking. And I hear a little bit of a thud and I turn and look across the street to find this guy riding by me on a bicycle and he says, There are bumps in the road. I have grown to appreciate that everything I see, hear, think and feel is potentially a communication coming to me. And more often than not, it absolutely without question is a communication coming to me. But it is up to me to take it in and process it and appreciate it there are bumps in the road for us getting from where we are now to where we're going to be next uh, which is going to require more of us put energy into that so we can remove the doubt and get on with it speaking of getting on with it let's get on with the show I'm sitting here with Dan Elster. How long have I known you?
1: I don't remember exactly when we met. How do I know We were you? almost going to meet in a art studio, but it actually never happened. Remember above... Oh,
0: above the place with all the selling supplies to grow marijuana. To grow marijuana, that yeah, place. Yeah. Um, Paradise something.
1: Paradise, landscape, yeah. supply, whatever yeah. it was. Yeah, yeah. That's the first I learned of you. I'm always know. surprised by
0: what everybody recalls as our first meeting, because I, I don't recall any of it.
1: But I'd actually never met you. I just knew that we were going to share that studio space. How were we going to do that without me knowing you? Well, what's her name was... Oh, Sarah Burns. Sarah Burns Ah. and Meredith. Meredith Page, yeah. And then after that, I don't know where we met from there. It's kind of, we all start meeting each other around Ashland, don't we?
0: Yeah, it's unavoidable. (laughs) Now, what I like about Ashland is, you know, we have about 175 deer here in town that are counted as residents... Of Ashland, Oregon. Did you know that? I, I didn't know. <laughs> Have you ever seen him, like a whole family of five, literally walk in the fucking crosswalk in the middle of Siskiyou Boulevard? Yes, I did. I in the crosswalk, dude, in the fucking crosswalk, like they push the button themselves and then <laughs> do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. It's true, I've seen it. It's pretty
1: fascinating. By the way, you can swear. I caught that. I listened to your first episode, and yeah. I'm a swearer, so I. I know you uh... are. It's
0: cool. So Dan is this incredible nature photographer, but primarily the animal kingdom, correct?
1: almost Birds exclusively and, yeah. wild animals. Wild
0: animals. Yeah. yeah.
1: Nothing else interests me or at least on the level of uh wild animals whether it's a, a snake or a bird or something in between. Yeah, just a peaceful moment with a deer, you know, on a foggy morning is just to this day, I mean, those are the things that really move me.
0: Do you feel the connection with the animals? Sometimes. What do you feel?
1: I don't know, sometimes I feel like they let me in a little bit. Not always. Sometimes a bird will fly away, doesn't like my presence. I get a different vibe from certain creatures and it might only last a few seconds. I mean, It's really deep stuff to me. And I, I used to kind of deny that and I, I used to not want to focus on what these animals are thinking or... I didn't want to read too much into it. Somewhere along the line I'd been led to believe that don't attribute like human emotions and feelings to animals they don't see the world like that and for a while for some reason I kind of believed that and now I've come full circle I don't even pretend to understand nature and animals and but I am so aware of it I get goosebumps I get weird feelings it's it's
0: yeah
1: I was over in the Klamath Basin uh, at Lower Klamath National Wildlife Refuge there was a coyote And this coyote was on the other side of an irrigation ditch, but we were very close But there was something separating us. There's this irrigation water canal going between us and You know he saw me I saw him and I was firing off a few photographs But I was kind of just really keyed into why isn't this animal because they're hunted over there coyotes are hunted And they're generally afraid of people over there, but this one wasn't and uh I took some photos, and a lot of times I get distracted with the photo end of things, making sure I got my exposures right. But then he did the weirdest thing. He disappeared into the grasses, which were right behind him, and then he reappeared, and he sat down. Like, he sat down the way your German Shepherd would sit down. And he just, he wasn't panting, but his mouth was kind of open. He was almost like, that moment, like, I don't even know how to explain it. Like, I got, like, a chill from head to toe, and, uh we just shared this extended moment i don't know what his prior experiences were with humans probably hostile most people don't seem to like coyotes to me they're very small step away from our pet dogs they are so i have a completely different uh view than than a lot of people seem to have of them and uh, it was a very i don't know it seemed like a very long moment yeah i've never really displayed the photo or show the photo I just don't understand the disdain and hatred for him. There Must be some origin for it. Well, you know, they, they kill chickens. They and, kill chickens, right? And they're just they being
0: dogs. Like,
1: they're being what they are. Do you know that in rural areas, some landowners will kill coyotes and then they strap them up on fence posts to, to warn all coyote. the other coyotes of course, to stay it's away from them. Fucking disgusting! It's so disgusting, and I. You know, and I used to kind of just shrug my shoulders and whatever, you know, just kind of dismiss it as different people do different things. And uh, I I can't do it anymore. And doing what I do, I do art festivals up and down the West Coast. I do them in rural areas. And, you know, I used to get kind of these hotshot tough guys who talk about all the coyotes they killed or spotted owls that they used to kill, you know, back in the day or whatever. And I used to kind of like snicker and kind of shrug my shoulders and, dismiss them because I'm here to sell my work. I'm not here to get in a debate with people. Yeah, They're missing information, vital, critical information
0: that would make them re-examine that and say, yeah, this is not healthy behavior at all. There are mirrors. If we don't have that to look at, we can't know that something is wrong Yeah, and that we have to do something. This should be the inspiration. They are really kind of our teachers, honestly. They may not know it, but they have been Presented to us to examine what is happening and make a choice whether to continue with this behavior and allow it and approve of it or say, no, we can't do that anymore. So it's always going to be up to us. We are the whole thing, we're the teacher, the student. We're doing the shitty thing. We're doing the great thing. There has to be a point whereby we collectively decide as human beings that, one, we have equal value, of course, and we all bring something to the table. Everybody is interesting. Everybody is incredibly, unbelievably fucking fantastic. But we don't treat each other that way. So we're not getting the benefit of doing that. A lot of benefit in treating people well, because you'll get the best of them just by merely supporting them fundamentally. Yeah. And at some point, I guess we'll get tired of not feeling good. Hopefully. I hope
1: that day's coming.
0: I do, too. I look at my kids, you know, and uh, and they're really an indicator of things to me. Because they are what's next. And so my job is to give them all this information I feel is lacking in their lives. And hopefully they will do something with it. Maybe not today, but maybe when they're 30, they go, oh, You know, like most kids. And Dad was right. You know, I didn't know everything when I was 13 and 14 like I thought I did. <laughs> and Dad had a few fine points in between, you know. Smoking bowls of weed.
1: You know, I, uh, I've i started doing slideshows for local classrooms. we have yeah. been doing it for a few years. I've done a few different age levels. And the initial goal was I want to teach kids about our local wildlife and the value in it and why it needs to be preserved and cherished.
0: You ever thought about maybe capturing some of these images of these side by side of these tortured animals.
1: I have captured these
0: animals. and show what we're doing. I mean cuz generally I don't think people would know that people hang up coyotes to scare off other coyotes and just how brutal we are to the animal world. I can't
1: believe how brutal we are to animals. Well, it's I mean it's just shameful. I mean coming from someone who loves a good cheeseburger. I mean we're all predators. It's an awful thing to watch a great gray owl rip apart a rodent, you know, but Right. It also you know, doesn't have a choice. Well, you know. You can't go to the grocery store and go, you know what, I'm not going to have the rodent, I'm going to have sushi. Well, when I'm at the grocery store, I buy cage free, organic, blah, blah, blah. You know, I I try and do my. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I can't believe the brutality that big game hunters, like this morning, I was reading a story of. Do you see this? Mm -mm. A big game hunter guide in Africa. Was leading people on an elephant hunt and they shot an elephant and the elephant landed on him and killed him. Yeah. yeah. It's total irony and you know, and then like this was I think it was a Huffington Post posted it on Facebook. And then you read like the comments. You heard people, a lot of people are mourning the elephant and of like, course. fuck the guy. Of course. Well the African That's elephant's almost I gone. I don't understand the mindset to go around killing shit.
0: It's part of this fundamental lack of education. We do not have a certain level of appreciation because we don't even have that kind of appreciation for ourselves. So we are this conquering, barbaric, shitty, murdering, fucked up group of beings. Yeah. Yeah. It's just us. We're the only ones that hurt ourselves. We're the only animal that can do the things that we do. And that connection that you felt with that coyote, I feel with animals all the time. Me too. Killing them is killing us. Well, I saw your latest snake shot. Yeah. Holy shit, dude. That thing's like all up in your face.
1: How was close it? were you? Oh, probably two or three feet. That's pretty close. I was close. trying to photograph him going away almost like a uh, profile. And then he turned right toward me, and that's that shot. Was that a rattler? A rattlesnake, yeah. And
0: where did you take the shot?
1: Central Washington. I went with a guy. He's doing rattlesnake surveys and studies up there. And I know him from doing spotted owl surveys down here. Mm. So he invited me up and I was very excited to be a part of it. So you, I spent a couple days you got catching, the money shot. Yeah, I think so. You got the, dude, I saw it. I, you got the money I shot. I got a lot of cool shots, but that's the money shot. Yeah.
0: yeah. And it's big, it blew up really nice and clean. And
1: I was so close, had a big lens, combination of those two things, made that shot come together. You were born where? Chicago. What'd your dad do? He was in the food distribution business. It was on the west side of Chicago, it was called Elster Foods, and Chicago's interesting, it has um, a couple different districts where little independent food distributors mm-hmm. all congregate, and we had about a 30,000 square foot warehouse, we had 12 or 15 employees, and I kind of became the manager of this business. It was extremely blue collar. It was very physical. It was in a bad neighborhood. Usually start work at two in the morning. I'd be lucky to get home at three in the afternoon. Mm. It was, uh, there was a lot of good that came out of it, but there was a lot of misery that came out of it. I got to the point I had to get out of there. It was just destroying my, my health. I was a lot different person then, too. I was uh, breathing in diesel fumes all day mm-hmm. and yelling at people and yelling at employees. <laughs> yeah. I look back, I was kind of an asshole.
0: Yeah. Was basis. your dad an
1: asshole? He could be. He was yeah. an awesome guy, but he yeah. could be an asshole. Sure. How did you
0: leave Chicago?
1: My brother bought my dad's business out. And it wasn't like a friendly takeover, dad handing over the business to his son. It was a pretty hostile, ugly kind of turn of events Hmm. where my brother bought Elster Foods and he talked me into going to work there. I think that was... Part of the breakup between my brother and him, it's just not a healthy way to make a living. Uh, at least not for me. Right. And maybe not for, for my family.
0: Why did your brother take over the business?
1: He wanted to keep the business alive, and my dad wanted to walk away. Yeah. And my brother, you know, he's a young business guy, and he had a lot... Invested in it and sure. he wanted to keep it going, and that created a lot of conflict. And then my brother found someone to help him financially buy the business from my
0: dad. Did they end up on okay terms before your dad passed? Yes. Good. Okay. Took a few years. Yeah. Cool. Um, How long's your dad been gone?
1: About three years now.
0: Oh, not that long. No. Yeah.
1: He's a great guy. I don't, you know, I had to get out of there too, Dad.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what was your mom doing when your dad was doing the whole warehousing of food? Uh,
1: Raising kids, and she was kind of part of the business at different stages of her life, too. She was a teacher for several years.
0: What'd she teach?
1: Seventh and eighth grade at a Catholic grammar school. Hmm. Did you go to a Catholic grammar school? I went to a Catholic grammar school and high school. How'd that work out for you? At the time it seemed great, looking back. I I, I got a good education. Good. I met some great people. <laughs> what did you do
0: as a kid in Chicago? <laughs> Played sports. Yeah.
1: Collected weird pets. Ah, here we go.
0: Little there. clue.
1: Well, I grew up in a big city, so I didn't have a lot of chances to see wild animals in the wild, so I would bring wild animals home from the pet store. I don't know what my first pet was. It's either garter snake or some sort of lizard. <laughs> Anyhow, yeah, it just went from there all the way into college. I think my peak, I had, like, 18 snakes. They just happened to be a big part of it. I don't know how to explain it. I've just always been fascinated with any and every creature out there. I've had pet birds, guinea pigs, rats. I I could go on and on. (laughs) When did you pick up the camera? How did that come about? So my then-girlfriend, now-wife, bought me my first real camera, He would say. When was this? Uh, I was probably about 30, and I was living in this far suburb called Island Lake. Mm-hmm. That was, those were some of my first glimpses of like real animals in the wild. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, I kind of mentioned in passing I'd love to have a camera and you know try and go take pictures of the big buck down in the forest preserve. So she bought me the camera.
0: What was the camera?
1: It was a Canon Rebel film camera, and it looked so big and fancy that it sat in the box for probably six months. I was, like, afraid of the thing. I didn't know how to use it. Uh, It was this very expensive gift from her. I had a guilty complex about this camera for a while because it sat there. And then I finally took it out, and the light went off. I mean, looking back, it was a profound moment in my life.
0: All you had to do really was read the instructions, didn't you?
1: I know, I struggle with those things, you know, reading instructions. You
0: mentioned something on a Facebook <laughs> post. You actually brought up something about having to build things. Fixing stuff. things, yeah. building
1: things, home improvement Yeah, me, stuff. dude, like, I, I, just... don't, I don't
0: I do not do that. That's why I live in a furnished fucking apartment. I don't have to do anything. See, I could just call and say, hey, the thing's not doing the thing, so. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, sometimes I'm envious because uh, I've done my share of renting over the years. Do you own now? We own a house,
0: so you have to do your own. I mean, you can hire somebody.
1: We hire people. I have friends who know how to do stuff. Sometimes I figure stuff out on my own. YouTube is a great thing. Sure. Every time I walk into Home Depot, I feel like three degrees dumber because I don't know the questions I need to ask. I don't know the tools I'm going to need. Blah blah blah. You're blah, their blah. favorite fucking customer, I'm, dude. They, I'm who they're talking The targeting. reason they're in business is because of you. You're period. right. Yeah, you're right. I used to pretend like I knew what I was talking about, and now I just lay it all out there. Like. You're better off. There must have been like this deciding moment while you were
0: in Chicago when you said, fuck this, and you did something that changed the course of your life.
1: There's a couple people I met along the way that kind of changed my way of thinking. You know, I also think my wife. How long have you guys been together? We've been married 16 years now. Yeah. Together a little bit longer. Yeah. So she was a huge part of it. I was living in our warehouse, which was a really funky place to live, and really no one else lived in that entire area except for this one other guy. Who lived in the warehouse next door to me, and his name was Chris. And Chris was from Australia. And Chris had dreadlocks, fabulous guitar player, smoked lots of weed, and he had a profound effect on my life too. I and mean, he knows that I've told him several times, even though I moved back to Australia. He completely changed my way of thinking about what's important in life. So I would say, yeah, Chris and Patty, those two people had huge influence on me. Yeah, I'll give myself some of the credit because well, I knew I, I I knew I couldn't live like that any longer. Right. My whole life revolved around the next truckload of green beans and people owing us money and someone stealing rolls of aluminum foil off our truck docks or pallets i mean you know and the goal was to build the business yeah and that's exactly what we did we built a very big impressive business and the bigger it got the more i hated it when hated did your it. dad start it well oh, gosh going in back even to like the 60s like he was doing that hmm. um different incarnations of elster foods and then Is that he did your grandfather re- too i don't know if my grandfather was into it i know my uncle was into it i never knew my grandparents so i don't I don't huh. know that a lot of that history. Right. But my daddy had a retail store before Costco came mm. around. Like you could go and buy a two-pound block of cheddar cheese, not right. like a six-ounce shredded pack of it. Like right. he kind of had a cool concept that worked great for a while.
0: Do you think he was at least in that area? He was like a food pioneer in, in bulk. He was. Huh, interesting.
1: He, he he really was. And those were like the, the most financially rewarding years in the Elster family. Mm. There were a few years there it seemed like we were rolling in dough. Right. I mean relative. Right. We were never rich, but right. things seemed to be going well because I do think he came up with this concept. Then the Wild. big guys came along and squashed of course that business.
0: <laughs> How old was he when he passed?
1: Mid seventies. Huh. How's your mom doing? She's great. She's healthy. She's still selling real estate. Is she in Chicago still? She's in Chicago. They got divorced. That was another part of the story.
0: How old were you when they got divorced?
1: Uh, I was midway through college, so what, Hmm. 21? Hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, I was married 26 years myself.
1: And when did you guys get divorced?
0: Uh, I don't know, like 10 years ago. Hmm. I only know literally a handful of people that are still married. Gary Lundgren and his wife Annie are one of the only two left that I know. And it's a fascinating thing. It's just another part of the strange culture of this town. I think there's some kind of underlying energy here that empowers people when they get here. And they go, oh, yeah, I don't want her anymore. I don't want him anymore. And they just have some kind of opportunity here to shed what does not serve
1: them anymore. So people find some kind of freedom here. That's interesting. Well... I'm rooting for Gary and Annie because I like them. I've gotten to know them. (laughs) I think that's done. It's like I can look at them and
0: go, they're never getting divorced.
1: But I've said that about a few other people. Fucking wrong.
0: But just know that I've been paying attention for 15 years and used to actually counsel people and recommended that certain people break up. Okay, so enough about that. Let's talk about your kids. You have two children Savannah and Forrest.
1: Savannah and Forrest. Yeah. Who are these guys? They're named after ecosystems. Savannah is in third grade at Hellman. Forrest is in first grade at Hellman. Uh, they're the greatest, best thing in my life, She added, my wife, the three of them. Uh, they love sports, they love wildlife, they love, gosh, they love everything.
0: You ever take them with you on your photo safaris? I do, they really get into it. Do they have their own cameras?
1: Forrest has his own camera. That was his big Christmas present this year. Savannah uses some of my older gear. Which sometimes I think is too much for her. You mean, yeah. is it manual gear? Is she looking it's at light a, meters? How old is she? It's a full on DSLR with a 300 millimeter. Uh, that's heavy it, too it's even for her, big right? For her to, she wants to be like dad
0: Ah, uh, I had given my son, he was into photography for a while, so I gave him my uh, Canon 10D. That was my first camera buy. Yeah, it's a great camera, actually, and I'm sure it still works great. I think it's just collecting dust over at their house because he was super into it for a while and we go out in these little camera safaris and then he just doesn't do it anymore. Well, you know, we had sort of agreed, we had a little trade going that you were going to take him out on a little thing with you, which I still would love to have happen because I think he really needs that experience of having photography presented to him by
1: somebody else. We could still make that happen. I uh, I remember the trade, and then you were off to Thailand and just kind of got dropped the ball in it, but dude, we could totally do that.
0: I think you guys would actually have a really good time together. He's yeah. super easy to be with, and he's got a fantastic eye, really and that's got nothing to do with me. He's not from my gene pool, but he does come from he does come from creative loin as it were. So, that would be awesome. So, and what's fathering like for you? How's how's being a dad?
1: Uh, you know, I'm a pretty involved dad. My career kind of allows me a lot of time with my kids. Sometimes I put the sunglasses on, grab the dog, and we walk to school. It's like the best 20 minutes of my day.
0: That's it. That is being a dad. That's as present as you can get It's literally walking them to
1: school. Kids make you present, but you know you talk to some people and everything seems like a chore. Everything seems like gotta do this, gotta do that.
0: Well I think people are a little misguided and maybe are not educated enough to decide whether they should be parents or not. I mean, you got to take a test to get a fucking driver's license. Any idiot can drop a baby from between their legs. (laughs) And frankly, as uneducated as we are, it is affecting the evolution of our species and how children perceive the world. So if you're an idiot and you have kids, you're probably going to have idiot kids. (laughs) We emulate each other. This is a species that lives by example. So if you're doing (laughs) stupid shit... I mean, hopefully your children will survive your stupidity, but more often than not, they're going to emulate you in many ways because children fully trust parents and whatever it is, even if they're beating them and evil to them, they think it's okay that this is life, that this is, you know, this is being presented to them as part of their experience that is reasonable and acceptable. This is love to them. So we perpetuate. That's shit. Anyway, it's not easy to be a parent. It's certainly not easy to be a kid these days. I have two, and they're both struggling in all kinds of areas. And I think I'm a pretty decent dad, but uh, I don't think I get enough time with them. And because I don't get enough time with them, they're really getting a, a heavily biased perception of the world based on not having balance between parents. This is my daily struggle. This is what I'm working on to make right. How do you feel about the whole thing? Chatting and the, what we talked about and your stuff.
1: Well, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed hanging out with you, Mark. You're well, always a fun guy to talk to. You.
0: Thanks, man. I enjoyed hanging out with you. And thanks, brother. I appreciate seeing you. Well, that's the show. I want to thank Dan for coming in and, and sharing his life a little bit with me and us. It's always great to talk to Dan. Super cool cat. Easy to be around. Love his work. I'm actually going to take that uh, snake image and put it in my kitchen. I'm always honored to display the work of my friends. I actually have a storeroom full of art that is all artwork done by my friends. It's the only thing really I have in storage. Everything else I own is right here in my little studio apartment. As always, I'm honored to be here to chat with you, to share with you my experiences, my opinions, and next week, we have uh, the incredible Tom Stamper, Tommy Stamper, one of the premier drummers in Southern Oregon. Actually, uh, it's been said to me that he is by far and above the best drummer in the Southern Oregon area. So we'll have Tom in here. He's a super cool cat, nice guy. And thanks again for being with me, and we'll see you next time. Take care. Bye bye. To find out more about Dan Elster, please visit him online at www.elsterphotography.com. I am Citizen 44.